Welcome to episode 50 of the On You and I podcast presented by the Gazette. I'm your host, Colbert, correspondent for the Gazette, joined as always during hoop season by Nick Pateros of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Follow Nick on Twitter at Nick at Courier. You can follow me on Twitter at Real Colbert. Send along any questions or comments you might have. Know that this podcast is available at thegazette.com, at soundcloud.com. It's also available on your podcast app on your Apple device. And if that's where you listen to the podcast, if you subscribe, it'll find you. You don't have to go seek it out uh, whenever it comes out. And if also, if that's the way that you listen to the podcast, uh, please rate and review as well. Let's get right into it, Nick. Uh, the UNI men's basketball team wraps up its regular season this past Saturday night at Knapp Center um, in Des Moines. It's a 70-43 win uh, for the Panthers over Drake. I don't think that was quite the result that either of us two expected, and it winds up with UNI finishing its season 25-5, and 14-4, and and that win clinched the outright regular season conference championship for UNI, and the last time that UNI had an outright championship was 2010. That's the uh, the year that we've been referencing all along. They did have a shared regular season title in 2009, uh, but nonetheless, it was an impressive performance by the Panthers. Nick, uh, what's front of mind for you thinking back to that game this past Saturday night in Des Moines? How about these numbers just lining up here, Cole? We've got the 50th episode of the podcast, 10 years to the day of UNI's last outright conference championship, and, and we're just uh, getting ready to go into to arch madness here. I, I think that means good things for this podcast going forward, right? That can't mean bad things. No, it's a, it's an anniversary podcast. I mean, all the, all the stars are aligned here. Uh, yeah, you, you couldn't have asked for a better finish for UNI to the uh, regular season than, than what they did in front of a sold-out Hostile nap center crowd. The the Panther fans in the upper balcony were making their presence known, and uh, just a just a great game for for the Panthers. Really, uh, it started on the defensive end. Uh, the way you and I's kind of played all season is they're going to let teams shoot three pointers against them, and and if teams are struggling on the perimeter, they're going to have a rough time of it. Drake uh, three for twenty one from three, and and that wasn't going to get the job done against this you and I defense. I, I think that's where where we start when you look at this game. Yeah, defensively, it goes in a group of about three or four games. I think this season as far as wire-to-wire defensive performances. It was a question that I asked uh, Coach Ben Jacobson after the game. He said as much um, that it was one of UNI's best, most complete defensive performances, but uh, that's not to make the offense take a backseat either. It was a a solid, uh, efficient performance by the offense, uh, but there is some things to dig through uh, with the offense in that game Saturday night against Drake and also kind of going back Uh, here at the tail end of the regular season. Uh, A couple things that stick out from that game. Um, Obviously, Austin Fife with the 17 points and the 18 rebounds. If there was any doubt if Austin Fife was a first-team All-Missouri Valley Conference selection, he he showed it in that finale in that matchup against their their big seven-footer, Liam Robbins. Uh, Really reversed it, reversed roles from what happened in Cedar Falls and and outplayed him. And now he's got two 18-rebound games and a 17-rebound game this season. Uh, just uh, what, what can you say about his production this year? It, man, how impressive, like you touched on there, was just the ability to look at the film of a poor performance the first go around, make the adjustments, and have that level of success against um, Liam Robbins, who you know we learned uh, today as we're taping this podcast that he ended up as a second-team uh, All-MVC, or Austin Fife ends up on the first team. We'll talk more about that later on the podcast. 
But man, this um this UNI team, the the complexion of it, the the attitude of it completely changed. Um and I, I don't think that's hyperbole. Like this team completely changed with a healthy Austin Fife. And uh, you know, offensive rebounding is something that uh, was never um, a big part of the puzzle for Ben Jacobson teams. It's he still has said it's not like a he he's putting more of an emphasis on it or made it more of his philosophy. Mm-hmm. It just so happens this team has some very capable offensive rebounders, and it starts with Austin Fife, and he leads uh, the Missouri Valley in offensive rebounds. And Koch Barr from Bradley is in second place in that category. He's 19 rebounds behind Austin Fife. Uh, that's a little over two games worth, obviously. I mean, when you think about it, actually, in offensive rebounds, that might be like four games worth of offensive rebounds that he's ahead of the next guy. I mean, think of how many extra possessions you and I has gotten this season in comparison to its peers in the conference. Yeah, I remember asking Jake about that, if, if he's uh, crashing the boards more versus sending guys back, and he says, no, we're not doing anything different. It's just that Austin, you know, he'd always have one or two guys uh, to crash and try to get that extra uh, board because Fife's not going to get back in transition anyways much if, if something's going wrong. Uh, but, but yeah, Austin, uh, he, he uh, really has just kind of been that one-man wrecking crew, that Marvin Singleton of, of this year's team. Now when when Singleton was playing, he also had Seth Tuttle who could board. So he had two pretty good rebounders there. And, and Austin, you know, he, he can do it himself. He's got Trey Burhow, who I think Jacobson would actually like to see a little more active on the boards. And then when, when Taiwan Pickford's in there, I think we all know what Taiwan's uh, capable of doing rebounding as well. But but Austin, I mean, he, he's really hit another level as far as rebounding goes. And, and actually his, his efficient scoring as well uh, here, the, the back half of conference play. You really can't understate what he has meant to this team and, and what they're doing now now entering the postseason would you say that you probably could count the number of quote-unquote bad shots Austin Fife took this season on one hand uh yeah probably that's impressive that's very impressive and you know another thing uh, about Fife uh, that I wanted to mention on the podcast I'm working on a feature story about him and I had asked a question to Loyola coach Porter Mosier on this week's Valley Conference uh, coaches teleconference call and Porter, Porter Mosier pointed out, Nick, that his thought is that Fife's core strength uh, is a big factor in his ability to get offensive rebounds. And I know how this could make me sound, but w- when he described that, I thought of his big man, Cameron Crutwig, who is not in, I think, prime shape. He's certainly in basketball shape. Mm-hmm. But let's be honest, it looks like Cameron Crutwig maybe eats a little bit more than some of the other bigs oh, in the man, league. you're going there, huh? I'm going there. So what I'm saying is... Are, are, well, you, are you center shaming Cameron Crutwig now? Is that what I'm doing? <laughs> I that, oh, no, I've gone down a wormhole here. But, oh, man. but what I'm getting at is it's obvious if you look at the physique of a Cameron Crutwig, okay. he doesn't have the core strength that Austin Fife has. Um, uh, so I, I also, when I see Austin Fife, I see what looks like at times a college tight end. Like, his build reminds me of a college tight end. And I think that strength, that physicality, that physique that he has um, goes a long way toward all the success that he's had 
uh, on the glass and certainly on the offensive glass. Yeah, and when you look at Austin's prolonged absence, I think yeah, you know it, it seems like he did a good job of keeping himself in shape. And I know uh, being in good shape and eating healthier was was a lot of a part of uh, getting rid of the the episodes that he had last season that were causing him to faint and pass out. So I think a lot of that stuff were, were, was lifestyle changes that he just needed to make to to help out you know his quality of life in general beyond basketball too. So I, I think just kind of a culmination of those off the court and on the court, he's, he's really put it all together. Sticking with the five spot, it seems like the Panthers are living a life of luxury right now uh, at that five position because Noah Carter, he just ran it right back um, after you know what we talked about with his performance yeah. against Evansville, uh, where he just burst for 11 points, and I think he only played 15 minutes um, in that game against Evansville. Yeah. And so he once again gets, you know, reserve off the bench, limited minutes. And he also got those minutes when Liam Robbins was in the game, uh, the seven-footer from Drake. And we had seen Ben Jacobson play Noah Carter as a small ball five, but only when opponents were going to their smaller lineups. Ben Jacobson said in the post game after the Drake game that, you know, he was just trying to get a three. Before Robbins got a two. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and obviously it, it paid off. And he's like, you know, we got we got the the fortunate side of it this go around. Uh, but I, I think it, it spoke to a, a couple things. One, that obviously Ben Jacobson is not hard-lined on uh, only playing Carter against smaller lineups. And, and then also, too, um, that Noah Carter just, quite frankly, has come so far defensively. Um, when you match that with a team like Drake, who wasn't shooting the best from from three point range, perhaps there's a level of comfort in doubling down into the post because it's not something we've seen you and I do a lot this year is double posts because of Fife size, because of Justin Dahl's size. But I thought the double teaming effort on Liam Robbins when he did get some catches with Carter in there uh, was. A different look that maybe just the fact that it was different kind of made things a little tough on Robbins for that short spell. And then I also just thought it was well executed, the the double downs on Liam Robbins. So it seems to me that Noah Carter just getting regular backup minutes at the five, it seems a little more feasible now than it did a week ago. Yeah, and who would have imagined that coming into the season? You've got Luke McDonald going into his senior year. He'd been the starting center. He gets uh, replaced by Fife, who's coming back off of injury. And then you've got a seven-footer, Justin Dowell, in the mix. Uh, you started the season with James Betts getting some minutes at the at the five. And then you've got this six-foot-six freshman from Dubuque, and now we're throwing him in the center position. And, and he's been brilliant. Uh, I think the, the thing with Noah is he just has that mentality on offense where if he's open, he's going to get the shot. And the way that offense runs, if they're doubling off the, the screen, he's got a lot of kind of pick-and-pop options where he – where he was, he was basically knocking down uncontested three pointers, and if you're going to leave Noah Carter open, good luck because he's not going to be afraid to to knocking those down. And I really liked his mentality too. He was when he, when he saw that he was at the check-in table at the same time as Robbins, and they're both going in. He's like, you know what, Liam Robbins is going to have to guard me too, and, and I think that's the right mindset. And and really, Drake wasn't able to capitalize on that. I don't think Robbins got enough touches no. for when when Carter was in on defense. Yeah, that's a great point. Um... I also want to make sure that we talk about Isaiah Brown because he had 15 points, five rebounds, five assists in that win over Drake. And that was the fifth consecutive game that Brown has scored in double figures. Uh, He came in for defensive MVP honors uh, today with the conference awards that came out. 
but he's really provided a lift offensively uh, here at the tail end of the regular season for you and I, Nick. While A.J. Green's um, shot has been a little off, it seems like just a little bit from A.J.'s standards since he took the hit to the nose. And Trey Burhouse's production's been off a little bit here at the end of the regular season. So not only is Isaiah Brown continuing to bring the defense, uh, he, he's upped his game here at the tail end of his career on the offensive end as well. Yeah, the thing that stood about, out about the Drake game is you and I has three elite shooters, A.J. Green, Trey Burhau, and Spencer Haldeman. Well, the only guys that made three-pointers against Drake were Isaiah Brown and Noah Carter. They each knocked down three, and they're uh, 50% or above from three-point range on those. So Drake did an effective job of taking away you and I's shooters and saying, all right, Isaiah, all right, Noah, you're going to be the ones that have to beat us. And, and they stepped up and knocked down the shots. Uh, I, I think I said in-game, in when Isaiah Brown is making open three-pointers, good luck defending this you and I team because they just have so many weapons, and, and who do you, you help off of? If you have to play them straight up, there I don't think there's a team in the Missouri Valley Conference that can defend you and I straight up. Uh, probably the, the only team I've seen really do it effectively this year is, is West Virginia. And then Colorado, I think, had the personnel where, where they matched up pretty well against you and I as well to, to defend them straight up. All right, let's move it along. Uh, A.J. Green and Trey Burhow, who we were just talking about, uh, they don't come into this weekend's conference tournament, Nick, uh, with a hot hand. I think that's a simple way to put it. Uh, it should you and I fans have any level of concern at all about either of these two headed into St. Louis uh, just because uh, the ball going in the basket hasn't been as easy. It hasn't been happening as often for either of these two here the last three, four, five games. Uh, the, the one thing I know about Trey Burhow is if you give him an opportunity to shoot, he's going he's gonna to catch fire eventually. So, I mean, if, if teams change their defense and, and he's able to find some looks, I, I don't think uh, that's going to be an issue with him. And A.J.'s too good of a player to go into a prolonged slump. Uh, he did go 4 of 8 against Indiana State after breaking his nose. So I, I, I'm not sure that that has anything to do with how he's playing right now. But this is one of the, the toughest stretches for, for Green all season. He's uh, 2 of 13 from 3 over the last three games. Uh, he had a stretch earlier this year where he went 4 of 17. I think that was a four-game stretch that included the West Virginia game, which was probably his worst game of the season. But I, I think with A.J., it's a matter of him being able to take what the defense gives him, uh, working that mid-range game, finding things on the interior. And, and even against Drake, he started 3 of 13 and still made, I think, uh, three of his final you know six or seven shots and, and finished strong there. You think the pick-and-roll coverage with, AJ, with an A.J. Green, Noah Carter – pick-and-roll duo changes at all uh, this weekend at the conference tournament because in the small sample size that we've seen, two defenders still continue to go with A.J. Green yeah. off that pick-and-roll combination. But now there's a not great size, but just enough film out there. If you're a Missouri Valley coach, if you're Darren DeVries, if you're um, Dan Moeller, how you covering that pick and roll duo? Because you've seen now what Noah Carter is capable of, and on the other side of the coin is the Larry Bird Player of the Year, AJ Green. Mm -hmm. do, do you think the pick and roll coverage changes at all? I don't know. Do maybe they'll rotate someone weak side over, yeah, uh, and then make, force them to make yeah, an, that that make, next pass, make Carter make that extra pass, but. It'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I don't think he, you you don't really want to play zone against Northern Iowa because their shooters are so good. Right. And then you've got Fife on the inside who can rebound. If if you play zone, it's tough to get uh, defensive rebounds. So I I don't. 
Nobody's sure. played zone for no. any considerable amount of time against you and I no, this year. I think there's been it's been more trap press type stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, the most successful defense against you and I has been aggressive traps and and trying to dictate things on the defensive end because what what you and I does with that flow offense is they're they're reading what the defense has given them and and then making decisions on the court. So I, I think it's up to teams that they're playing to kind of disguise that coverage and mix things up and make it tougher on those players to to get reads and, and make decisions off of it. All right, Nick, let's dig into the uh, Missouri Valley Conference regular season awards that came out. We, we, I've obviously you know, brought some of them up already. Uh, long story short, A.J. Green, Larry Bird Player of the Year, him and Austin Fife make first team. Um, Isaiah Brown is all-defensive team. He's also defensive MVP. Um, am I missing anything at that point as far as what's out right now? Uh, for Valley Awards. When oh, comes- yeah, you've got uh, Marcus Domosk, the the freshman from Southern Illinois, freshman of the year and newcomer of the year. Right. Newcomer I, of the year but, swept that. Oh, when it just UNI, comes to yeah. UNI. I'm- yep, yep. So, yeah, yeah, you just got Green and Fife, first team, Isaiah Brown, defensive player of the year, and all defensive team. All right, so uh, I've tweeted out that I was surprised that Trey Burhow didn't get third team and had, some, had at least one person reply and say, well, what about second team? Um, but I put my tweet out there for a reason. I thought Trey Burhow was deserving of a of a third team selection. Um, not taking anything away from those that are on that team, but Nick, you've got the vote. You're the beat writer. Um, so by all means, the floor is yours for uh, the Burhow subject or anything uh, else that is particularly noteworthy of what mm-hmm. what came of today's awards well I'm, I'm kind of off the hook because the the way voting works is they don't allow media members to vote for the the players they cover which I, I don't agree with because I, I think as a media member you're supposed to be objective and be able to break down a team and you know be able to decide if hey I, I've seen Trey Burhow play more games than anyone else in the conference I should know if he's a first team or a third team or not on a team I agree you know, so, something like that but anyways when, when you look at these all-conference awards, I think the first thing that I look at is the conference-only statistics because that's where you're comparing apples to apples. Teams have different schedules, non-conference. You're playing different uh, competition. You know, I want to see what you're doing over that 18-game conference stretch. So when you look at Trey Burhow in particular, he was great non-conference, one of the best three-point shooters in the nation going into conference play. Well, then what league defenses did was they started focusing in on him. In his conference numbers, you've got 11.3 points, 6 Point one boards and, and 36.8% from three-point range. That's not quite the 50% from three-point range he was sitting at entering league play. So I, I just think when you look at 11.6 boards, there's a lot of players in the MVC that kind of have compatible stats there. So that's very close. The, the one that really surprised me, and I really think Isaiah Brown should have been on a team, I don't know how you can be the defensive player of the year and then not be one of the best players in the conference. If Is defense not half of the game? And, and, and what Isaiah has done offensively to improve his game, averaging about 10 of a game, ten points a game, his his percentages aren't that that efficient, but he's doing enough on offense, and I think he's made enough of a jump that, that you have to put him on a team. And would it, would it um, do you think it, it, it does it all, or should it enter the minds of anybody where – Okay, you and I is really good. Their first option is AJ Green, scoring wise. Second, Trey Burhow. Mm-hmm. Third, Austin Fife. Like he's the fourth scoring option. If he was on a different team, not only would he continue to be a great defender, 
but maybe he would even score a little bit more too if he wasn't the fourth option on a team that just happens to have that much scoring punch. Yeah, that cuts both ways though because when you're on a team that has those elite scores, you're getting better shots. If you don't have A.J. Green, how many Fair. open three-pointers is Isaiah Brown taking this season as well? So I can, I can kind of see both sides of the coin on that one. Uh, anything else that you'd like to touch on before we start digging into what's ahead for the Panthers at the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament? Uh, no, I, you know, as far as looking at the, the conference awards, I, I just really think that Isaiah Brown getting the Defensive Player of the Year award shows how much respect he has within that conference because there are some pretty good candidates he was going up against. A lot of times that Defensive Player of the Year award is kind of the all blocks and steals, you know, yeah. player of the year. So you've got Liam Robbins, who is averaging three block shots a game, like about three times better than anyone else in the conference. And then you've got uh, Javon Freeman Liberty, who uh, was the steals leader uh, as well. And so for him to, to get that award without necessarily the statistical numbers, that yeah. just shows kind of the eye test and, and what Isaiah is bringing on the court uh, game in and game out. Yeah, I was really uh, glad to see that there was obviously a, a recognition, like you said, from Isaiah's peers in the conference of what he really does defensively uh, night in and night out in the league. Uh, you know, I always think back to like uh, Illinois State's Paris Lee. I think it was a couple years ago that he was that steals guy. You know, he mm-hmm. could he would get steals, but th- there were a lot of times Paris Lee was not guarding the best player in opponents' backcourts. Um, so not only um, is that a factor in my mind's eye when it came to me being kind of like, really, Paris Lee, defend- defensive player of the year, it also creates opportunities for those players to sag off that guy who's not as much of a scoring threat and be in the passing lanes. And I won't say pad stats, but just have kind of uh, just obviously have more opportunities uh, to get those counting stats like like you said there that sometimes maybe get a little overvalued in this situation. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's let's start breaking it down, the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. Um, Nick, uh, let me remind everybody, has Missouri State is his dark horse. Hey, they got the sixth seed, right? They did. They did. And And we we know what six seeds are capable of. Exactly. Saw it last year with you and I getting to the championship game. And and what did Missouri State do to your Southern Illinois Salukis there in the the final game of the season? They beat them up pretty good. Um, They are still healing, I think, from that game. (laughs) They're still bruised. Um, I I, I got out of the Southern Illinois stock at just the right time. And I also, like a coward, did not uh, circle back and say, okay, here's my new dark horse. So I'm putting Nick out on a limb here for everybody to get after. Meanwhile, I haven't picked a new sleeper. I'm going full on Mike Ditka, go bears here going into the tournament. Well, I think in that case, uh, I, I feel compelled to pick a sleeper. Um, I'm ruling out all Thursday teams. Uh, Thursday (laughs) team has never won the conference tournament. I'm sure perhaps it could happen someday. You know, the 16 seed finally beat a one uh, a few years ago in the tournament. Evansville has to win a game at some point, right? You're not. You're you're not being serious. (laughs) You you don't believe the words coming out of your mouth right now. Um, I, I suppose that if there's a sleeper of teams that play on Friday, that's not Missouri State, it, it, who who qualifies? Southern Illinois? Yeah, you could pick your Salukis. I could come back to them, but I I, I think anybody who's above that is obviously a four-seater grader. They're not really a, no. a well, sleeper. And Bradley, I mean, they're, they, they, they have that they, feel to a, a team that's better than a four-seed. Yeah, they basically brought everybody back, and uh, they were in the championship game a year ago. So how about this? I'll just say Indiana State, who I was not high on last week because they, they haven't been consistent mm-hmm. enough. 
Um, but, you know, a team that's not consistent, well, when they're good, they're really good. When they're not so good, they could lose to just about anybody. Yep. So I'll do that. I'll ride with Greg Lansing Sycamores. All right. So, Did you see they rebranded today? They got a new logo? Yeah, I heard they're getting a new logo. I haven't seen it yet. Is, is it good? It's um, So picture like the Iowa, the Iowa State logo where it's the I in the state. Okay. So picture that. So you've got a, an I, and then you've got, instead of state, you've got Sycamores. Okay. Um, and then behind the I is the state of Indiana in an outline. So it's like state of Indiana with an I in the state of Indiana, and then the Sycamores across it. If I was going to give it a letter grade, instant reaction, C+. Plus. Sounds like a lot going on there. Yeah, maybe a little too much. Maybe a little too much. But before they were trying to make the state of Indiana their I, and it kind of worked, but it kind of didn't work using the outline of the state for that letter. So I can understand why they wanted to rebrand, and then plus you get the free, you know, basically the free pub from it. So yeah. that's not necessarily you, a bad thing. You are Indiana State, so, you know. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I give it a C plus. I mean, that's something where people who like to get bent out of shape on Twitter for a living can have a heyday yeah. with something like that. You know, that. The, the rebrand that was really good was your Salukis. I thought that looked sharp when they redid yeah. their logo. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, Coach Mullins, uh, how about we, just real quick, just speaking of Coach Mullins, um, who do you think is going to win Coach of the Year? I think uh, it's seeming like Jake's getting some buzz. I, ben Jacobson might be the Coach of the Year. Again, I cannot vote for you and I, people, so I don't have a vendetta against Jake. I just didn't have the option to pick him. Uh, Brian Mullins, I think, uh, you know, is going to be in the mix. Greg Lansing, you know, really had a pretty good year. He's beaten everyone in the conference. Yeah. Uh, Indiana State is having one of their best seasons in, in a long time. So I, maybe he'll get some buzz. I'm not sure. The one guy I think is a little underrated is Brian Wardle and what he did with his team without Elijah Childs to keep them in the mix. Things uh, could have easily gotten away from that team. They had their best player out for about half the conference season. So I think Brian Wardle deserves some credit for that. I'm not sure he'll get it. Uh, but, but yeah, I think it's probably going to come down to Ben Jacobson and, and Brian Mullins. And that comes out. Is that Thursday? Thursday they have a Coach of the Year awards banquet uh, around noon, uh, a luncheon, and then they do some pressers and, and then have the uh, the big Thursday night games that everyone's looking forward to. Uh, fun story, Nick. Uh, the one time I've, I've gone to that coach's banquet once oh, yeah? before. You yeah. had a nice, uh, nice little lunch on the MVC? I did. It was nice. Um, I got a – because I was a student sports information director um, at UNI for a so while. So that's an SID? SSID, okay. uh, S squared ID, uh-huh. and it happened to be the 2014-15 season when you and I was obviously very good, and Ben Jacobson won the Coach of the Year award, and then the later that very same day during press availability for the Friday teams, because this is Thursday, um, Ron Baker said, uh, the former Wichita State shocker, Ron yep. Baker, uh, said at press availability that... They're, they were pretty sure that some votes got uh, put in the wrong hat when it came to the coaches award. Oh my! And so they called Did, out that Ron Baker called out the result. I don't think if I memory serves me right, he wasn't the only shocker to go on the record disputing Ben Jacobson's what did, win. What, what evidence did uh, did uh, the, the Shockers players have? Because the players don't have anything to do with the voting. So, I mean, did, did Greg Marshall put a bug in one of their ears or what? I, you know, I'm not sure. But, you know, they, they play angry. And so... <laughs> what, what, what Were the Russians actively rigging the MVC uh, elections uh, uh, back yeah, then? Yeah, there was probably some Russian interference. <laughs> uh, let's just chalk it up to that and just move along. But that was my one experience going to that coach's banquet. It's and it turned work. out to be like 
the most dramatic coach's banquet. You wouldn't think there'd be any drama yeah. at a coach's banquet. And then later that day, there's all sorts of drama. Everybody goes, hey, did you hear Ron Baker say this about the coach's vote? And so like, you're going to have to ask Jake what it means to win a Coach of the Year award that's not marred in controversy if he wins it this season. I think that whether it's you or me, yeah, absolutely. We If we are uh, tried true professionals, we definitely have to ask Ben Jacobson that. Um, so make sure and make a note of that. Or Nick. can Ron Baker stop by? Is he still with the New York Knicks, or, or what's he up to these you days? You know what? I don't think he's with the <laughs> Knicks anymore, but I'm not going to take shots at a guy who made it to the NBA. No. Um, why would you take shots at a guy who was not good enough to play for the New York Knicks? Knicks. That's, ooh, a, that's, yeah, a, that's a really strong shots. NBA franchise. Not going to take those shots at Ron Baker <laughs> okay. at all. Um, so the scenario for the UNI Panthers is the top seed at the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament. Uh, it's pretty simple. They get to play the first game on Friday at noon, and who they will play will be the winner of Drake and Illinois State. So there's a potential for this quick turnaround against the Bulldogs. Uh, but, Nick, if they play Illinois State, the Redbirds, when they came to Cedar Falls not too long ago, they played you and I tough. I mean, that game was close basically until, what, like four or three minutes left is when you and I finally got its separation in that game. And their talented guard, DJ Horn, uh, had a good game. Um, if I remember correctly, there was a defensive switch at one point in that game with uh, Pickford and Isaiah Brown switching between Copeland and Horn that it ended up being a pretty big factor in that game. Uh, so you would you would anticipate that um, you know Dan Moeller and the Redbirds would be ready should they be fortunate enough to win to maybe have a counter to that this go around. Uh, but you know when it comes to that, we dare you to make a three defense. The Redbirds made their threes. Um, in that game, uh, the Drake Bulldogs in Cedar Falls, they made their threes against that you and I dare you to make threes defense. Um, but then again, there's there's this short turnaround Thursday teams uh, to, that got to play the top seed. That is a very short turnaround the very next day to play at noon. Um, you know, the say what you will, the, the, the everything's stacked against you. But Drake's uh, not a bad team. Illinois State kind of a bad team. I mean, let's be honest, a 10 and 20. Yeah, that's you um, and I's worst loss of the season by yeah, far. Yeah, by far. Um, but they've got some talented players. Dan Muller's always got some talent on the roster. Um, what do you th- I'm guessing we share the brain here that obviously Drake is the more formidable opponent. Yeah. Uh, should they match up with you? It, it's interesting because Illinois State's the only team of the two that's actually beaten you and I, but right. on, on paper, Drake uh, does match up better. I, I like Roman Penn's game a lot. I actually thought he should have been the newcomer of the year. Um, and then uh, Liam Robbins, if he's going, you know, he's just a, he's just the beast inside. You've got an ultimate rim protector there. So Fife's going to be hard-pressed to get another 17-18 and 18 in a rematch with Liam. Uh, but, but you do wonder about Drake's legs, especially when they're coming off a game where they didn't shoot it that well and going night game to, to noon game. I mean, they're, they're college kids. They're good athletes. Maybe they can handle it. But uh, certainly uh, it's going to be a favorable situation for Northern Iowa coming in. The other thing that's going to be interesting is you and I this week uh, being in that being in that one seed position as opposed to years past where they've been playing in the 3-6 game or, or whatever, knowing their opponent. Now they don't know their opponent for the full week of preparation. So you're pre- preparing for two teams instead of one, and you wonder what type of difference that might make for the Panthers coming into the tournament. Yeah, Ben Jacobson spoke about being in that one or two seed position at his weekly press conference, and he says over the years they've learned to not guess who they're going to be playing and you know weigh their preparation toward one opponent more than the other he said that they will prepare equally uh for each team and i would think the fact that having recently played drake that would help 
um, and, and being sure. prepared. Uh, but also, too, it works in Drake's favor a little bit as well because, you know, if there's anything good, there's hard, there's really nothing good that comes of playing on Thursday. However, if you are Drake, if there's anything good that you can take from uh, being in the position they are in, it's that if you win, you play somebody you just played, you had a decent amount of practice time to prepare for last week, all of that prep is fresh in their mind. Whatever Darren DeVries wants to change, that's obviously what they'll focus on, and then everything else is still fresh in their minds. Yeah, and it, I, I, listening to the Drake players, even after that UNI game, they sounded pretty disappointed in how they played, and I, I think they, you know, an in-state rival, you get a chance to knock off the the number one seed, Big Bad Panthers, you know, they're going to be highly motivated for, for a game like that. I probably sound like a broken record, but if you and I can replicate anything close to what it brought defensively uh, this past Saturday against Drake, uh, that seems to make them just so much more difficult to beat, Nick, when, when yeah. they're engaged for 40 minutes defensively along with what they've proven uh, on the other end of the floor on offense this season, that makes them a, a clear favorite to me. Now, we've talked about there are other teams capable of winning this tournament, but if you and I is winning games probably more of the 72 to 65 variety, 72 to 62 variety, it just seems like it's more maybe a little more dominant, a little more in control than the games that have been more of the 84-77 games, you know? Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a UNI team at this point in the season where you're going to hold them under 60 points. So you know the offense is going to be there. It's just a matter of if the defense can come up with enough stops and, and be consistent through enough a large enough portion of the game. And, and we've, we've seen throughout the course of the season, it doesn't take a, a huge defensive, you know, you don't have to have uh, 40 minutes of great defense. You just need, you know, if you get five or ten minutes where you're playing – defense at a pretty high level that offense can can get things going and open it up pretty quick yeah I mean basically if you can force an opponent if you're you and I if you force an opponent into a four to seven minute scoring drought with what they have offensively exactly pretty gosh darn hard to overcome Nick any final thoughts uh, for episode 50 of the podcast. Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's going to be a, a tough road for the Panthers here in the MVC tournament. You could have to face Drake in a pretty close to an instant rematch, and then you could have Bradley after that. That's a good team. And then possibly Loyola, where both games have gone overtime, and, and that's a coin flip. You know, you, you've split on the season series. So I, I think we're going to see some competitive games here this weekend in St. Louis, and it'll be a, it'll be a fun ride as we get closer to the, uh, to the NCAA tournament where maybe you and I will be a part of the field if you and i makes it to a championship game and loses or do you agree with me that they would get an at-large bid uh yeah they should be a lock i think you could talk to your local congressman if they don't get into the into the field there if, with with a loss in the finals if you and i loses in the semifinals do they get an at-large bid that's where i don't know i, I think the, the thing that's interesting is you have conferences like the big 10 and a lot of leagues that still have a, another week of the season to play Correct. so you and i is going to be sitting idle while all these teams are playing they can improve and jump ahead of you and i in the net rankings while the panthers are idle so you know you and i could fall down to the mid 40s and then get passed by a couple more teams here before it's all said and done so i'm i'm not as confident the panthers would get in with a semifinal loss all right nick enjoyed it as always we'll see you in st louis all right sounds good thanks cool thanks for listening to episode 50 of the on you and i podcast presented by the gazette remember you can direct message any questions or comments to my twitter at real colbert make sure you follow nick you can hit him up on twitter at nick at courier Stay up to date of his coverage of UNI Men's Basketball at WCFCourier.com. Stay up to date of my coverage at TheGazette.com.
Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.